We hope this explanation of God's Word enriches your life. To help you understand the audience for this talk, we suggest you read the context material on the About Us page. Please read also our copyright page before recording or reproducing any material from philipjensen.com. Thank you, Andrew, for reading for us again and introducing us to this study as we pick it up in Colossians chapter 1. Last week we saw the great transfer. The becoming a Christian is a matter of transfer. It's not something we're born into, it's something we're reborn into as we're transferred. Verse 13, you'll see there, verse 13 of the chapter, says that we've been delivered delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's what God the Father has done. Delivered us from the domain of darkness. Notice the past tense. It's something that has happened to the Colossians who were Christians. They all lived there. We all lived there in the domain of darkness. Notice the negative view of life outside of Christ. It's called darkness. Notice it's called a domain or a dominion, a realm, a power under which we lived, but we have now been delivered rescued. And that's the topic of today, is the rescue that the cosmic master has brought about. That is, we've been saved from it, we've been liberated from it, we've been freed from that domain. But it was a domain we needed to be liberated from. It may be a normal thing, it may be the thing that you've been born into that you didn't realise was a domain, but it's not something that you can't leave by yourself. The good that I want to do I don't do. The bad things that I've never wanted to do, I do. If I don't do the good that I want to and I do bad things that I don't want to do, what makes me think that I am in charge of myself? Uh, Telling lies. Nobody really wants to tell lies, but everybody tells lies. The good that you you don't, sorry, the good that you want to do, telling the truth, you fail in. The bad that you don't want to do, tell lies, you do. You're not living under control of yourself, but under a domain of deceit. That's just one illustration of the whole range of things that the Bible would talk about as the domain of darkness. It's a domain also because there's no way out of it. Death is an inevitability. It's a domain also because there's not forgiveness possible. The evil that I have done, how will I be able to find forgiveness? People I told lies to that I don't know anymore or who have died, where can I find forgiveness? So verse 13 also tells us of the Father who has not only delivered us from the domain of darkness but transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, changed us. Not delivered aimlessly to walk around in the prison of our own liberty but transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And it's in this son that we have redemption, that is deliverance, freedom. That's what redemption is. It's the the purchase of the slaves for freedom. We have this redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. No longer am I held captive to my sins. I am now forgiven of my sins. That's what I am. And being forgiven of my sins liberates me, frees me so that I can now live differently. Now today's study in the next section of chapter 1 speaks about this son and us. 
speaks about the beloved son in whose kingdom we now live, speaks about him and how he has delivered us. And you'll see on the outline there before you, the blue outline, that I'm going to say it under two main things about him. First, that he is the Lord of creation. Second, that he is the Lord of salvation. He is, verse 15, that's what the subject is, him, he whose kingdom we have been transferred into. He is the image and firstborn, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Notice firstly, the image of the invisible God. That's not physically imaging God because God has no physical image that we can have. God is invisible. He is the image of the invisible God, but he is godlike. He is the godlike one as humans have been created to be because we have all been created in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. But what does it mean to be like God? It's not that God has ten fingers. It's not that God has good Danish looks like mine. What is it about God that I am like? Well, God is God. That is, God is the ruler. God is the king. God is the one who governs. And so when man is created the image of God, you'll see in Genesis 1, immediately it says, let them have dominion over. And then it's all the rest of creation. Humans are to the rest of the world as God is to the universe, the ruler of the world. And this one is not in the image of God. This one is the image of God. Also, he is the firstborn, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean born first. Firstborn means heir. Now, the eldest son was often the heir. The one who was born first was often given the inheritance. But the term itself just means heir, the owner, the future owner and ruler of everything. And he's not the heir of something, you'll see in verse 16, there, 15, 16. He is the heir of everything, of all creation. Uh, This description is the image, the firstborn, is explained to us in verses 16 and 17. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, friends, that we have someone from the ABC photographing us and the rest, and if you could keep movement to a minimum, that will help us concentrate on what we're doing, not what you're doing. And uh, Try hard, focus on the scriptures, and then secondly on me, and just ignore him. Uh, he's a nice man, I'm sure, but ignore him, just if you can possibly do such a thing. Now, verses 16 and 17 explains what the image is. For, you'll notice how it explains it there, for by him all things were created. By him sounds strange because the Bible tells us that God created all things. But how did God create all things? Well, by his word. Psalm 33 verse 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were declared. The earth was made. That is, When you remember Genesis 1, God just speaks and it happens. God said, let there be, and there was. And so in John chapter 1, we're told in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You can't separate God from his Word because God speaks the truth. If you trust God, you trust his Word. If you believe God, you believe his Word. His word is just the expression of himself. 
And God, by his power, didn't go out with little machinery and make the world. God is all-powerful. God spoke, and the world came into existence. The mechanism, the machinery that's used, is not described. He just spoke, because he is all-powerful. But that word of God was the way in which God made all things. And now we're told that word of God has become man. This man, this Jesus, is son of God, is the one by whom all things were made. It's a big call to say that by this man all things in the heaven and earth were created. For it puts this man in the category of God. And this man that Paul is writing about 20 years ago was crucified. That is, within 20 years, not hard for me to remember 20 years ago. It's fairly easy. Mid-1980s, I can remember the mid-1980s, only just too well, just the other day. I can remember where I was living. I can remember 20 years earlier, this man was crucified in Palestine and now Paul is calling him the one by whom everything in the universe was made. Especially when you look at it, it says all things were created. Verse 16 makes it clear all, means all, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Everything that you can imagine and things beyond your imagination, thrones, dominions, powers, authorities, all things. Again, it's like John 1.3. Without him was not anything made that was made. Whenever you have something has been made, it was made by him. Mountains, rivers, animals, angels, you, me, we have been made by him. And more than that, all things were created through him and for him. Again, it's what the rest of the Bible teaches. Hebrews chapter 1 teaches the same thing, that he is the one who is the image of God. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the firstborn, that is, he's appointed the heir of all things. And he is the one through whom everything was created. The world was created and the whole universe is upheld. But ponder it, friends, the world, you, me. We were not made for Buddha. We were not made for Muhammad. We were not made for Karl Marx. We were not made for the government in Canberra. Jesus is the reason for our existence. He's not just the reason for the Christmas season. He's the reason that you live and I live. You and me, we are manufactured items. We're not accidents. We don't like being manufactured items, but being accidents is worse. For a manufactured item has a purpose, has a reason, has a meaning. An accident is meaningless, purposeless. I'm here because I'm here because I'm here because I'm here because I'm here. And the meaning of life is the grand old Duke of York who marches up men up the hill to march them down again. It's the myth of Sisyphus where he rolls the, 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 the great rock to the top of the hill in order for it to roll back down again so that he can roll it back up again. Everything we're doing is meaningless and pointless and useless because bang, here we are. A few million years in between. But it was all just an accident. Meaningless and pointless, and if our creation, if our existence is meaningless and pointless, then everything we do is meaningless and pointless. But no, 
We have been made by him and we have been made for him. And so what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of you? What is the meaning of me? What do we live for? It's not what we're living for, it's whom. We are living for him who has made us and we have been made for him. You and I have a purpose in life to live for Jesus. How wicked it is therefore for us to rebel against Jesus or to ignore Jesus, to turn our back upon Jesus. But before we leave the Lord of creation, look at the summary in verse 17 there. He is before all things and he sustains all things. You see, he he himself is not part of the creation. Everything was made for him and without anything, without him nothing that was made was ever made. But he himself is before all things. He is the one who was there before creation came into existence. And he also sustains it because the creation is not like a machine, self-regulating automatum that goes on. The creation is something that continues only because of his continued loving and care and sustenance. As the world goes on, so Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 speaks of it, as him sustaining the world through his word, upholding the universe by the word of his power. It is because of Jesus, not only that I was made, but that I continue to live. If he were ever to turn his back on me, I would but disappear. He upholds us in our very existence. Now this Lord of creation, and that's a big statement, that is an extraordinary thing said about any human being ever. This statement is then backed up that he's the Lord of salvation as well. For who better to be the Lord of salvation than the Lord of creation? So the first thing that's said is he's the head of the body, that is the church. He's the Lord, the ruler of God's people when they are gathered together. He is the supreme ruler of God's people. And just as he was before creation and the firstborn of creation, so he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. That is, he's not only the heir and ruler of this life, he's the heir and ruler of the next life as well. He's not only the Lord of creation, but he's the Lord of the recreation. He's not only the Lord of earth, but of heaven. Because he rose from the dead, never to die again, so he is the beginning of the resurrection from the dead. And he is the heir of that age that is to come, the resurrection age, which involves or means three things. Firstly, that in everything and in every way, he is preeminent. He is not preeminent in creation only, but also in salvation. He's not preeminent in this age only, but also in the age to come. There is no one who comes ahead of Jesus. He is first in everything. Some of our community have complained recently about some of our Islamic citizens who are saying that they're Muslims first and Australians second. I I don't think that's a ground for complaint in the slightest. I'm a Christian first and an Australian second. Very clear. That's what Christians have always understood. As long as there's been Christians in Australia, that's what Christians have understood. 
You give a choice between dying for God or dying for the Queen, I'll die for God first up every time. I do not live for the Queen, I live for God. Jesus is preeminent. He's preeminent in fact, because he created the universe and created me and I've been created for him. And he's preeminent in the age to come, because in the age to come, the Queen will be just like me and just like you. There's no special place for her, no special seat, no special crown. She will just be Elizabeth and I will just be Philip. There'll be nothing special. I won't be bowing down to her and curtsying to her and she won't be to me either. It's an irrelevance. We are exactly the same at that level. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he's Lord of heaven as well as Lord of this earth. And Australia, Australia is of no significance eternally. Australia is here for a moment, an empire and a land in which it's wonderful to live. Don't get me wrong, I'm not denigrating Australia. I would choose to live nowhere else in this world. But it has a no eternal significance. And the way in which we conduct our affairs is very good and right and I'm happy about it, but it's not the ultimate truth of life. No, no, a Muslim should be a Muslim first and an Australian second. Just as a Christian is a Christian first. question is... Is Muhammad preeminent in all things? Or is Jesus preeminent in all things? That's the choice. And it's a real choice. And there's no way ducking and avoiding and saying, oh, well, he is to them and he is to them and I'm just sitting on the fence. There is no fence. That's fool's paradise that will see the destruction of Western civilization. There is no fence. There is a choice. Jesus is the Lord of creation and the Lord of salvation. And it's right and proper for him, for notice all the fullness of God, secondly, was pleased, delighted to live, to dwell in him. Not only is he preeminent first, but secondly, everything that is divine was him. Everything that is God, whatever you want to say about God, it is in that man, Jesus. That's a great statement, or a great blasphemy. It's one or the other, isn't it? I mean, if that is true, then that changes the whole way in which we live and die and the meaning and purpose of everything. If that is false, it's one of the greatest blasphemies that have ever been uttered. A more sacrilegious statement you couldn't make, that everything that was God was living in him. See, he doesn't give you a fence to sit on, does he? He's either true or he's false. But dangle a flag down either side is a position that is impossible with Jesus. Look across to chapter 2, verse 9, and you'll see it said there even more explicitly. Chapter 2, verse 9 in Colossians, it's over the page 1184, where it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. When that man was a man, Everything that was God was dwelling in him. This man, this first century Jewish man, this Jesus, is said to be the repository of everything that is God. It's a big call. It's either right or it's dreadful. Arrogant, blasphemy, sacrilegious profanity, an irreverence and a wickedness or true, and needs to be faced up to and lived, not ignored.
But given this statement, the next one makes sense. For verse 20, through him, he was reconciled all things. To reconcile is to, is to resolve the dispute, to resolve the disagreement. It's a word we use in accounting when we reconcile what doesn't agree. It's a word we use in counselling when we're trying to reconcile parties to a particular viewpoint or in the legal profession. It's to settle matters, to settle disputes, to bring people together. Well, he reconciles what? Well, this is the cosmic lord of the universe. He reconciles everything. That's what he reconciles. Everything. So things in heaven and things on earth, he reconciles, verse 20. But what does he reconcile them to? He reconciles them to himself. That's what he reconciles them to, because he is the ultimate thing and the ultimate reason for our existence. He is the one to whom everything else must line up and be in accord. Because he is the Lord of creation and the Lord of salvation, there's nothing else to reconcile to except himself. And so he is the one from whom, with whom they must align because he is the one for whom they are all created. Now, how does he reconcile all things? Fourthly, by making peace. How? By the blood of the cross. See, Jesus doesn't ignore our discrepancies. He doesn't ignore our rebellion against him. He doesn't ignore our ignoring of him. He doesn't ignore our wickedness. He doesn't ignore our corruption. He doesn't ignore our injustice. He doesn't ignore our lies. Rather, Jesus pays the penalty for them himself in dying on our behalf in our place. He takes us with absolute seriousness. He takes our wickedness with absolute seriousness. Such seriousness that he pays the penalty himself. That we might be forgiven. And so he reconciles all to himself. He is the Lord of salvation as well as creation. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Having died on the cross and risen again, he rises as King of kings and Lord of lords. Or again in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the ruler because he's made everything and everything's made for him. He's the ruler because he has died for everything and has risen again to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lord of creation, the Lord of salvation. That's what Colossians 1, 13 to 20 is about. Having introduced the great transfer, delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son, he then spells out this kingdom of the son. He introduces us to this son the Lord of creation, the Lord of salvation. And that puts us into perspective as the rescued. For delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of the Son, redeemed and forgiven, it's all now revisited and explained in verses 21 to 23, under four headings. Our past, firstly. Verse 21, once we were alienated from God, Hostile in mind because we hated God. Have you seen why people believe the Da Vinci Code? The Da Vinci Code is a self-confessed fiction that millions of the people believe as fact. 
while they ignore the Bible, which is fact, for the sake of a lie. What does that tell you about the hostility of the human mind? I mean, it's not even claiming to be true. It's claiming to be a fiction, and people still believe it. That is a perversity of mind. We have a hostile mind to God. Humans are in the domain of darkness. We don't want God to be God in our lives. We'd prefer a fiction than the facts. Hostile mind, doing evil deeds. For sin affects our relationship with God and with each other. It affects our minds and it affects our actions. But notice, this is our past state if we're Christians. For the present state is that he has now reconciled us. How? In his own physical body by death, paying the price for us. And this present reconciliation has a future prospect to it. Verse 22, in order to present us to himself, pure, holy, blameless and above reproach. For there he stands on the last day as our judge, there he stands on the last day as our bridegroom. And he presents us to himself as we really aren't, in one sense, holy, blameless and above reproach. Do you recognise yourself in that description? Not unless you're looking at a very strange gospel, a very strange mirror called the gospel. For if you look in the mirror of what you're really like, holy, blameless, above reproach, you see, that's what Jesus has done for us, but it assumes the conditional status at the moment, verse 23. It assumes that we will continue trusting in him, stable and steady and not shifting from this hope of, the, hope of heaven that we hear in the gospel. This book, written in about 50 AD, this book assumes that you, the reader, have been delivered and transferred. Have you? Has the cosmic master done that for you so that you no longer are living in hostility to God but in trust of your cosmic creator and saviour? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for all things that you give us, but especially the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf, that we can be so freed and liberated from the domain of darkness that we might live as we were created to, with Jesus as our Lord. And we praise you in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the talks on philipjensen.com. Please check our copyright page before recording or reproducing any material on philipjensen.com.